0: so this is today today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today you
1: traveled through time to the present yes yeah I don't think you get
0: how time travel works it's like we're stuck you know like a
1: like a needle on a
0: scratch record
1: I wake up every day right here right in Punxsutawney and it's always February second. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing it?
0: where the same day keeps happening. Time, 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 ah! time, time. Slow down! What are you in a damn time loop or something? Ah! Well, it's Groundhog Day again, and that must mean that I'm Professor Robert E. G. Black. And I'm here with Austin Pryor from Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, here to discuss Groundhog Day, again, still, always.
1: (laughs) Welcome. Hello. Again, still, always, your podcasting friend, Austin Pryor. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah, so uh, we're Minute 8, Groundhog Day, pelvic tilt.
0: Yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Before the pelvic tilt. You said yesterday on Minushek Machina, this is a movie you've seen many times.
1: Yeah, with big gaps. Like I saw it. This is, yeah, this is a real kind of VHS movie for me. And, you know, like I I remember my friend had seen it the night before, you know, the old rent a movie and watch it that evening and then watch it again the next morning before it gets returned kind of (laughs) trick. So my friend... Rob had seen it the night before, and he says, "Oh, you have to come over and watch uh, Groundhog Day; it's amazing." So I watched it the next day, his second viewing, my first. So yeah, it's just tied to that era for me. And I saw it, yeah, just a few more times over the years on video. And I I had a housemate who, you know, was one of his favorites. I ended up seeing it again with him. It's never been a film I got obsessed with or anything. Certainly not to Robert E. G. Black level, but I don't think anybody could. Possibly compete with you for a level of obsession about this film.
0: They could try, but they'd have yeah, to catch up. Yeah,
1: they'd have yeah, they'd have uh, <laughs> yeah, at least a year. <laughs> to mm-hmm. they would need uh, of daily viewings. But yeah, I, like I've I haven't gotten a chance to listen to Sean German and who is it that did Groundhog Minutes? Dave Palace. Dave Palace. Yeah, so I haven't listened to their version yet, but I have listened to it's time to rewind. Mm. So I guessed it on that recently and it's in its second season, the Twilight Zone season, but in the first season it was all Groundhog Day. So that was, yeah, good excuse for me to buy it on 4K Blu-ray and and rewatch it and thoroughly enjoyed it. So it's very fresh in my head for that reason.
0: Yeah, I have two Blu-rays of this movie because I burned one by using it so much.
1: No way. (laughs) That's crazy. I guess that is (laughs) possible. Which
0: is very rare. Yeah. Because
1: it's uh, extra layers of protection and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) Yes, that is gas. That is a good, that's a good keepsake. Is it, is, is, does it visibly look any different? Is it like a little bit more transparent?
0: I haven't looked at it recently, but I remember it looking. Yeah. You could tell I had, I looked it up and I'm like, oh, that's that's what happened. That's a
1: badge of honor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The laser is like ever so slightly destructive every single time. And you have yep. pushed through yeah. to make it make a difference. That's uh, that's something else.
0: We're at minute eight of the movie. We're still not. Well, we will be in the time loop by the end of this minute. Yes. But we won't yeah. know it. <laughs> they just day one. Yeah. I did have a bit from a script really quick before we got into it because it was technically last minute. Gotcha. They didn't know where they were filming yet, of course. So it says the van pulls into a parking lot at the quality Inn. the announcement billboard in front of the motel reads Groundhog Day breakfast special February 2nd. All you can eat five ninety nine. And the parking lot is already crowded with cars, including a number of other news vans. The Lexus, because in the script, Phil drives by himself. Oh,
1: right. Separate from them. Yeah, yeah.
0: Pulls in behind the van and everybody gets out. Phil takes one look at the motel and shakes his head. And we get the same interaction that we get here.
1: From there on. Yeah, yeah.
0: Here it is the Pennsylvanian Hotel, which is actually the Woodstock Opera House.
1: Oh, very very fancy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it looks like it looks like a perfectly nice place but uh he obviously hates it oh but that's last minute yeah yeah
0: yeah there was a what did he call it it's a flea bag flea bag which is nice because the what the hotel we see looks nice and we're inside part of it later with the implication is the bar and the ball are both in that building yeah they're not but in the movie they're in that building
1: I think maybe it's just establishing the fact that phil is just like sick of the same place mm-hmm. uh maybe establishing that phil hates repetition yep <laughs> and this is just once yeah. a year
0: now he's gonna get it every day yeah and as you already said she has just said anything i can do and he says would you help me with my pelvic tilt now in the second revision he says will you be my love slave <laughs> and in the third and final he actually asked for a foot massage in the film asks. Yes for her to help with his pelvic tilt. Yeah, which I had to look up. Yeah, you looked it up and <laughs> I read it. I, yeah. I could tell it's bad, yes. but I didn't know what it meant.
1: Yeah. So uh, hit me with the definition there.
0: According to physiopedia.com, pelvic tilt is a position dependent parameter defined as the angle created by the line running from the sacral endplate midpoint to the center of the bifemoral heads and the vertical axis. So Essentially, it's how your pelvic bone lines up with your spine.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I read that and I interpreted it as an orientation that you could change so that it was an aspect of your posture, but it's not. It's internally, skeletally how it's positioned. Right.
0: It's more specific.
1: So you would need physiotherapy. And
0: helping him with it would be... Yeah, she needs to be like a chiropractor yeah. and get really in next to his yeah. pelvis and push. Like,
1: yeah, it wouldn't. It's very it specific. Wouldn't really, it doesn't bear too much examination because it wouldn't be sexy. No, unless you were like very, very desperate to be touched in the pelvis, you wouldn't. <laughs> it, you, it, you wouldn't find it arousing. You know, if just the mere touch would be enough to set you off. But we needed
0: it as a scene later, where he's at a chiropractor. Yeah, and he just really, he in. just
1: really needs his pelvic t- <laughs> tilt. Yeah, yeah. But it's this pelvic tilt line is it's a weird one, but it's it's kind of the first he's like been it's the first time he's being nice to her. Now, it's not it's not nice. It's not a nice thing to say, Uh -uh. but compared to the other stuff he's been saying, which is like directly mocking her and saying she's stupid and just look at your face when you make that face. And, you know, I bet Mm -hmm. you do like blood sausage. And by the way, blood sausage, that is that's black pudding, I assume. Is it the same thing as? like i've never heard the term blood sausage outside of that scene in this movie
0: i don't know if they're exactly the same thing but i know they're similar okay yeah i've just
1: never heard of it before or since but like (laughs) you know in we're in ireland and we we have black pudding all the time but yeah it's just yeah i've never heard it blood sausage is a reasonably good description of black pudding but i've never heard it
0: called that jumping in from editing The distinction, by the way, for blood sausage and black pudding is that black pudding seems to have a lot more oats or cereal in it, whereas blood sausage is mostly just the blood. Ew.
1: It tastes the same.
0: If you close your eyes.
1: Anyway, he's saying this line and the basis of the line is, oh, you could just do something nice for me that's intimate and it's inappropriate in the workplace. It's a shitty thing to say. But the basis of it is you're desirable. Whereas the basis of every other thing is you're stupid and, and I'm writing right. you off and I'm dismissing you. You're just a hick.
0: I think this might be the first time he notices she's trying. Yeah, yeah. Because she, oh, just she just did something nice said, for him. oh, I planned for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And she put him up in a nice B&B, yeah. So he's
0: like, okay, okay. she is a producer. She was just this person and he didn't yeah. trust
1: and yeah, the talent
0: was making fun of.
1: So the next thing then he's talking about Larry eating. Yeah. Well,
0: because she says within reason, yeah, would you like to come to dinner with Larry and me? And he says, No, thank you. I've seen Larry eat and And then he makes this He this... laughs shoves his yeah. hand in yeah. his mouth
1: Ow. and he's like it like it's it's a very weird thing. And I'm not saying it's not funny, but it never makes me laugh. <laughs> Because it's just so strange and the rhythm of it and yep. his timing, I'm always thrown by it, which is funny in, in itself in more like I, I'd, I'd rather watch weird jokes that make me quizzical than watch boring, predictable jokes all the time. Yeah, Part of the Bill Murray charm that he just does weird out there choices, but it's very unpleasant <laughs> to watch somebody just like put so much of his hand into his mouth and go. Oh, yeah. oh. I you know, it's just like it's it's horrible. <laughs> and it like I say, it never makes me laugh, although I accept it might be funny.
0: This takes me to something that came up in my blog a lot. So anyone who read that might recognize the name Banesh. Julie Ellen Banesh wrote her doctoral dissertation about this film.
1: That's right. Yeah, I've heard you mention it.
0: And I'm one of the only people to have read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which she told me on LinkedIn. She's like, I don't care what you say about it. You read it. Yeah. Because I often said negative things. Oh, really? Uh, it's called Becoming Punxsutawney Phil, Symbols and Metaphors of Transformation in Groundhog Day. Yeah. And one of the things she writes about is how no one eats nutritious food in the film. Yes. And a lot of the food is either, in this case, fake, or it goes badly. Buster chokes. Yes. On what yeah. he's eating. And so no one actually consumes anything nutritious in the Mm -hmm, film. mm -hmm. The only thing we see someone actually eat is ice cream and some sort of breadstick with the south
1: oh you mean actually eat yeah he
0: does stick the cake in his mouth yes exactly Cake's not nutritious and that's kind of disgusting
1: yeah yeah and he has all this laid out in front of him this big feast of pastries and fancies yeah Yeah.
0: but my thing with this one is she calls this the first depiction of food and i'm like well no he already talked about blood sausage
1: there you go (laughs) he
0: offered imaginary blood sausage from the glove compartment Mm. so this is the second instance
1: i guess she's not including imaginary food oh no she is because she's talking because he's just yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well there you go
0: but the shot though, when he does the mouth thing, yeah. the thing I noticed, and I love this because I've seen this movie now, it would be somewhere close to 450 times. I don't know Jeez. the exact number. Jesus. I still notice new things Yeah, in the shot where he does that thing is I think the only scene in the movie for sure. And that only shot is when we see the other gazebo. Yeah. There are two gazebos in the square, but the Southeast quarter of the square is never shown in the film. Mm. They avoid it. And I'm pretty sure it's because that's where they parked all their trucks and put all their equipment and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so we never see it, but there is a smaller gazebo over there. And when I was in Woodstock, should I talk about me being a dick? Go for it. Yeah, sure. Why not? When I was in Woodstock they have a walking tour of locations and they had a little map for people who didn't want to take the tour. Yeah. And they marked in that quadrant of the square that that's where the snowball fight happens. Oh, and I was like, no, it doesn't. It happens over there. (laughs) There's a shot during the snowball fight where you can see the center of the square, their stage and the hotel. You can't see that from over there. And the guy who made that map, I had breakfast with him (laughs) at the official breakfast. And I told him outright. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. And he was like, I don't think so. And I'm like, Let me show you the screenshots from my iPad. (laughs) I proceeded to show him why he was wrong. Oh, beautiful. The next day, I actually moved the cone with the sign. Oh, you moved the cone. Right. Good. (laughs) But when were you there? I was there. That would have been 2014.
1: Okay. Because I saw... There was something about nineteen ninety four in your notes. Ninety four. Yeah, I was thinking that would be an extremely early celebration. Oh no, you know? I would, no.
0: Yeah, I don't even know if Woodstock was doing their own thing in ninety four yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, because obviously the film had just come out in ninety three, so I, I thought that yeah. was
0: up. they are now. I mean, they're they're having a big thirty because it's the thirtieth anniversary of it being filmed. Yes. this year, and so that's when Woodstock is celebrating big. Very good the location. Yeah, yeah, great.
1: And so, do punks tawny do anything to? I'm, sometimes I think Punxsutawney must be kind of annoyed. This it wasn't filmed there, and yet people will constantly associate it with this. And
0: yeah, they still get tens of thousands of people. Okay, go to Punxsutawney. So they do fine.
1: Okay, I yeah, think yeah. the
0: numbers went up because of the movie. Okay, but yeah. also people were probably surprised because doesn't look like that. Gobbler's Knob is actually a little hill outside of town.
1: Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The,
0: the movie they wanted a town square because it's contained.
1: Yes. Of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: That rat's maze again.
1: (laughs) There you go. Yeah, yeah. You want your
0: location to fit your theme.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. They really do connect. Mm -hmm. I was kind of noticing as well that just at the timeline of the whole thing that you have got that the gaps are almost the same. You know what I mean? You've got one of these every 10 years, these movies. So you've got 93, then 2004, and then 2014. Oh, yeah. And one way I was thinking about framing it, and of course we're back now at the chronologically, the first one to be released, Mm -hmm. is that like, it's really an interesting frame of gender politics in each one. Yes. Because each, the central kind of relationship in each film is a romance of a kind. uh, Less with Ex Machina, but it's there, obviously. In this one, Andy McDowell is doing a fine job, but she just doesn't have that much to do. She doesn't have that much agency. I don't think it's the worst depiction of a woman ever in a movie, but she's a bit more than a prop, but not much more. And you would definitely make her more of a character if you were making this movie today. And she just kind of plays her role in Phil becoming a better person. Yeah. You know? And she goes through a lot of shit in in all these different loops. Oh, is this the time to bring up? No, I'll bring up that in a minute. I've got stuff to say about the, the sci-fi reading of, of Groundhog Day. Don't let me forget. Okay. But yeah, so she goes through all that. And okay, it doesn't amount to anything. She doesn't remember it. And at the end of the movie, she sees him in that perfect day. But of course, she spends so little time with him in that perfect day yeah. that it's weird. But anyway, that's
0: well in the, I think it's the original script Uh where she follows him on that last day.
1: Yeah. So she gets to see him be amazing. Sneaking
0: around, following and seeing all these weird things he's doing. She doesn't just hear about it at the ball.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Which
0: works better, but also would take a little more staging.
1: Yeah. Uh, You can see why they changed it to just her finding out mm -hmm. her sneaking around would be kind of weird, but it would give her a stronger motivation to be into him by the end. Right. But, I mean, there's also a bit of movie magic that we know how amazing he is. We know that she has seen, in other loops, she has seen this good side in him starting to come out. And there's a bit of movie magic that says she kind of remembers and she's kind of falling in for him for things that she can't, you know, that she wouldn't be able to remember. So then we're at... This is the way the romance is framed here. And then in Eternal Sunshine, you've got Clementine is a bit more fleshed out, but she is still a bit of the manic pixie dream girl. And the entire film, I used to kind of think about the plot and kind of, oh, yeah, they're each deleting the other. But of course, we only see the deletion happen from from his Joel's point of view. Mm -hmm. And I think that is maybe a flaw with the film that it's uh It leans so heavily on the male perspective.
0: Yeah. And it it does get around that in the original script in that she is the beginning and end of the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But then it's still his perspective through the middle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It balances it a bit better. But then by the time you get to Ex Machina, Ex Machina goes to both extremes because it takes a woman who is not only stripped of her agency but she's stripped of actual womanhood by virtue of not being physically a woman and not having grown up in the world or anything and she is so powerless and so like this object of curiosity and an object of male desire and 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 the kind of uh, a vehicle for a man a very powerful man to exercise his ego and and his kind of god complex and then by the end she's taking total agency, total control, and is self-actualizing in this very kind of empowering way. But then, you know, even in Ex Machina, along that road, you do have a lot of, there's a lot of male gaze in that movie and there's a lot of, you know, and it just makes me think of like, okay, so in 2024,
0: what movie comes out,
1: when this becomes an existentialist quadrilogy, Mm -hmm. then how much more enlightened, how much more kind of, maybe in 2024 the movie could actually be written and directed by a woman
0: that would be Mind nice.
1: yeah. yeah two yeah two dudes on a podcast talking about feminism and fixing the world yeah that's what everyone likes
0: well i think a lot of what you're saying is why when i was watching this movie every day is when i started to like reject reading it as a romantic comedy yes yeah because arguably he doesn't do the things he does because she said it
1: what are you looking for who is your perfect guy Well, first of all, he's too humble to know he's perfect. That's me. He's intelligent, supportive, funny. Intelligent, supportive, funny. Me, me, me. He's romantic and courageous. Me also. He's got a good body, but he doesn't have to look in the mirror every two minutes. I have a great body, and sometimes I go months without looking
0: Uh, uh, he's kind sensitive and
1: gentle he's not afraid to cry in front of me this is a man we're talking about right he likes animals and children and he'll change poopy diapers does he have to use the word poopy oh and he plays an instrument and he loves his mother i am really close on this one Really, really close.
0: It's more of a coincidence that she said he plays an instrument and then he learns an instrument. Okay. She was talking about what it means to be like a more enlightened person and yeah. he becomes a more enlightened person. Yes. He's not trying to become her ideal guy. Yeah. Necessarily. Okay. <laughs> See, now I don't watch this every day and I'm like, it is kind of that. That is what <sighs> Harold Ramis intended. Yeah, but he's. <laughs> it's not what Danny Rubin intended, but it's what Harold Ramis intended.
1: Okay. Okay. But him becoming the perfect man for her, that wouldn't be progressive either. No, no. No. Yeah. And that would, and also that would be.
0: Well, I guess in 93, it would sort of be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he's not just trying to convince her. He's not just trying harder and harder, you know, like standing outside with a radio over his head kind to, of thing. To
1: basically trick or manipulate her. To into force life. her into yeah, liking yeah. it.
0: Yeah. He's changing himself. Yeah. That's good. Yes. Yeah,
1: a lot of other romantic comedies are based on a woman going. Oh, fine, it's just easier. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's something Stephen Moffat did a lot of in his time on Doctor Who. I don't know if you're a Doctor Who person, but that's a whole, <laughs> that's a, whole uh, a whole other thing. Yeah, so so where was I with that?
0: Women and men, gender.
1: Yeah, it goes again. M- women and men. Yeah, we we fixed we fixed misogyny. There you go.
0: You're welcome. Oh, we'll find out in 2024. We'll find out in two years,
1: uh, two two and a bit years, when the next installment. Some
0: movie will grab my attention and I'll be like, yes. Okay, that's what I follow up the trilogy with. Gotcha.
1: There you go. There you go. Oh, God, I'm looking forward to
0: this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where are we? We didn't even get very far. No. He makes a joke about Larry. I'll see you in the morning. He immediately gets back in that van, which is hilarious. Yeah. She says, don't be late. And Larry says, did he actually call himself the talent?
1: That's a little moment of not the best acting in this film is (laughs) Larry and Rita, their little interaction there. It feels a bit like, is the camera still running? Will we, will we laugh? Will we, and Chris Elliott's laugh just seems very kind of forced and she's just kind of standing there and it's just.
0: That goes, I think, less to their performances and more to Harold Ramis as a director. Okay. Because if you watch Harold Ramis's scene later, he has this thing where he likes that little beat before a punchline, pause for laughter. Yes. And he likes that setup and other people can't always do it. Yeah. You know, Andy McDowell's not a comedian. Yes. And so her timing is not always the best.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's not bad. No, no, I don't think she's bad. And I, do, I just think this moment, and actually, whenever I point to a moment of poor acting in a movie, I always blame the director anyway, because it's ultimately their call. They decided that take was good enough. And they decided in the editing room that, yeah, this works and not to
0: cut. It's, it's not a time loop, so I won't go into detail, but M. Night Shyamalan's old is exactly that oh there are great actors in that movie yeah but no um, i was gonna say none of them but i think almost none of them put in a good performance yeah and i blame the dialogue and the director
1: yeah yeah absolutely because uh, because a performance is like gathered on the set Mm -hmm. and then it's crafted in the editing room and the actor is so much at the mercy of the director and the editor Because if the actor second guesses the director and does their own thing, nothing can work. But if they don't second guess the director and the director isn't competent, then it can't work either. So, and I think a lot of like, there's a lot of reappraisal going on of how we view actors and people who are difficult to work with, Mm -hmm. which is we're now discovering a lot of the time was code for rejected my sexual advances on a, a, a young female star. But I think even extending it outside of that is like, of course, I'm sure the egotistical actor thing, you know, the talent, you know, smelling their own farts and believing their own bullshit and, and just be, I'm sure that exists, obviously. But I think a lot of it is probably like, oh, diva, come on. I always think of the making of The Shining <laughs> and the way Stanley Kubrick is treating Shelley Duvall. Yeah. And Shelley Duvall, if you're not paying attention and especially if you're kind of hero worshiping the great Stanley Kubrick, you could be like, Oh, Shelley Duval, Oh my God. Does she ever shut up? And it's like, she's being disrespected right, constantly. And Kubrick did that awful. And I love Kubrick, but he did that awful thing where he, a lot of actors, he saw them as he didn't do this to every actor, but a lot of actors, he saw them as, okay, I will put this actor through this because I'll manipulate the performance out of them. Mm-hmm. And I need Shelly to be a mess. Yeah. And it's like, She's an actor, dude. She can get there herself. Yeah. Yeah. So this thing of like actors being divas and and whatever is, I think a lot of it is just, it's often things like this. It's often like the way that the director isn't getting what they want, or the director is running the show in in a manipulative way. And then somebody else gets a a reputation for being difficult to work
0: with. Mm -hmm. Which unfortunately, a lot of the directors we revere, especially from like decades ago, they were all like that because that's what made them quote unquote good directors is we could understand their vision yeah. for the film from the final project. Yeah. Because it wasn't messed up by performances or other factors because they were so demanding on set. Yeah. So nowadays we're like, yeah, but that means they're abusing people constantly. That's not good.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it is kind of a, a crutch. Like it's kind of it's a way to overcome your shortcomings as a director. Mm-hmm. And I'm very glad that there's so much less tolerance of that nowadays i'm sure we still have more to go i'm sure there'll be like there's probably a a film being shot right now where somebody is not being called on being an asshole despite the advent of me too and everything it'll probably take another few waves of this for that to really be addressed but like it has already gotten much better and there's been a much more of a a light shone on it
0: even if the difficulty is not one person's fault who's going to get fired first the director or an actor yeah
1: yeah absolutely And again, it comes back to Nathan Bateman Mm -hmm. and his power dynamic and his like, you know, hey, I'm just a regular guy. Yeah, I'm just a regular guy who has complete power over everybody in this house. Until he doesn't. Until I don't.
0: And for the record, I'll talk about this more in a later episode, but the diva on the set of this movie was Bill Murray. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which led to a falling out between him and Harold Ramis that lasted for, well, the rest of Ramis's life.
1: Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah.
0: I had fun toward the end of my blog writing negatively about stuff from this Yeah, and writing an entire entry just on how awful Bill Murray can be as a person.
1: Yeah. It was yeah.
0: weirdly, it's like catharsis because I've been talking about this thing and everyone's like, you must be a big Bill Murray fan. I'm like, well, no, not really. I mean, I like movies he's in, <laughs> but it's more coincidence, Yeah, yeah. not because I'm seeking yeah. out Bill Murray. Yeah. I'll enjoy the movie and call the people involved for their bullshit. I'll do both
1: which more people need to be able to do mm. and and I kind of think the culture yeah I mean I don't know I don't know if I want to get into talking about The Last Jedi and the fan backlash but basically it doesn't even need to be The Last Jedi it can be anything else That like it's kind of a case of <laughs> Arrested Development where like I remember being a teenager I remember having like ego identification with every single thing I loved yeah. and every single thing I hated yeah. and when I loved a movie I had to love every part of it and I made myself I mean, for example, I made myself love The Phantom Menace and I wouldn't acknowledge any of its flaws and I would defend it to the hilt. And then somewhere between seeing it five times in the cinema and handing over my hard earned cash to get that VHS when it came out, I was like, yep, there was something hollow about bringing that tape home and something awful that I had been like hiding from myself. Yeah. And so you have to move past that. You have to move past the kind of tribal identification or, or ego identification with this is my media and this is my thing that I'm into and I will defend it to the hilt. Or equally, this is garbage and you can't like it and stop and you're, and you're the worst because movies are fun and it's a fun it's also fun to pick them apart and and point out why they're awful and why you forgive one flaw and you don't forgive another and right and then an awful lot of the nerdy fun of picking apart films is the very technical stuff like cinema sins talking about plot holes and often like basically inventing plot holes to add to their sin counter yeah. and where they haven't really thought about it
0: well that's why i love cinema sins is because if you ever listen to their podcast they are not the nitpicky dicks that everyone thinks they are they love movies yeah they don't pay enough attention to them sometime and they have multiple writers that do each script put together yeah but if you just watch one of their videos yeah it's not
1: yeah so, i mean cinema sins as a youtube channel i think is like awful like i hate it i the whole approach and i just think they're kind of victims of their own success in the sense that like The algorithm shone favorably upon them, and then they're just like, okay, more of that. Keep doing that. And that's what they did.
0: Which they actively did when they started the channel. Yes. They did a whole podcast episode about how they looked into how the algorithm worked and did exactly what it wanted.
1: Yeah, which is really depressing.
0: Useful if you want to make a living making YouTube videos, but then you're stuck making those YouTube videos.
1: Exactly. It's circular because it's like, wow. Wow. I'd love to get paid to do something I love doing yes. wouldn't it be fantastic to have a form of self expression that also paid the bills yes. fantastic <laughs> let me just alter how I express myself to favor the money mm-hmm. now you might as well be working in insurance yeah you know what I mean you're not doing something you love No, you're anymore. just doing a job you're doing a thing that is like several generations removed from what you wanted to do originally And I just think like there is something really dystopian about human beings working for algorithms. (laughs) Ultimately, it's human beings working for advertising, Google or Facebook or whatever, whoever it is. So in a way, it's nothing different. It's human beings working for corporations. Okay, we've had that for a while but there's just something about having this layer of abstraction of this mediation through an algorithm that will change by the way. And
0: it's like how so many YouTube shows I'm thinking of half in the bag from red letter media, for example, yeah. have to have an ongoing storyline as like their frame. Yes. Because people, people, I don't, I don't even know if people gravitate toward that or if that makes it better or if it, I don't understand it myself because I don't care. I like to, try yeah. to skip that most of the time.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was really into that particular bit for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was watching every episode and I was binging them because they had already been on the go for a good few years when I discovered them. Yeah. So I binged and I loved the plot line. And then now, anytime I go back, I'm just like, oh, what is this? Their
0: last several episodes, they basically ignored it mostly.
1: I think they did. They've just kind of like, whatever, we're just
0: going to talk about the movies. They don't care anymore. And I'm like, yes, that's what I wanted the whole time. Yeah. Like even, I mean, they're a cynical group of guys. Yeah, They love movies, but they also love destroying them. And then watch like Corridor Crew who love movies and are often positive when they talk about movies. But even they, to keep their YouTube channel going, have to do gimmicky stuff. Yes. Where they play this whole ongoing thing where one of the interns was a clone. Okay. And he would die every once in a while on episodes and then he'd come back. I'm just like, I get that you're a special effects house. You want to do some silly deaths. Yeah. But it's like, I don't like those things as much as I like just the conversation about what they do or movies and other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I would never have- would never have would I never have <laughs> I was like what I would never have an ongoing storyline of my things and I'm like do I do I do I no I don't think so I hope not in
1: your podcast or your yeah yeah
0: I mean <laughs> if I knew it would get me money to be a podcaster would I do that <laughs> shit probably you see
1: I think an ongoing story would be fun that's one of the things that I could imagine myself getting into creatively first and then finding out, oh, that's actually favorable and that could be profitable and get people interested and get people listening. And like, yeah. I don't know.
0: It's like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. Whenever they talk to the like their bosses who were sending them these movies, I'm like, I don't care. Get back to the movie. Gotcha. But also okay. sometimes yeah. some of their best jokes were in those little sequences.
1: I've never actually seen it.
0: And so it was this weird mix of, I hate this sequence. Oh, that was funny. Cool. Get back to the movies. It's okay. funnier yeah, yeah, there.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. MST3K, as it's called, is one of those cultural touch points that I have seen so much reference to, and I've heard so many people talking about what an influence it was on them and everything, mm-hmm. but I've never actually seen an episode. Oh. I've never seen the thing because it was never on over here and then it also it's just i mean obviously i could get access to it now no problem yeah. but it's just where do you start and it's such a slog to get through and kind of if you yeah. were to
0: watch any i'd say watch an older one yeah one before they made their own movie yes because their theatrical release one was kind of the point where it became too much of a profession they did because now there's riff tracks with yeah. those guys who used to be there and a new msd3k yeah. was out for a few years
1: yeah and it's and funnily i know about all of that, but have again, have never mm-hmm. seen any of it. I just kind of right, have it without I have it. the view of their career and how it changed and all that, yeah, it seems a bit more like traditional media, oh, people keep coming back for the story that seems that seems fair, but um but
0: to segue back, I guess you could say, Phil, maybe he once was really into being a meteorologist. We don't know, yes, now he doesn't like his job where he is. He wants to be somewhere bigger and be more important, yeah, and so he's rude to everyone, yeah. And
1: is it like fake it till you make it? It's like people who are on top are big jerks. So I'll just be a jerk, even though I'm Mm -hmm. a big fish in a small pond.
0: Yeah, he thinks he's better than everyone around him. Yeah.
1: And I think very few people can advance their career that way.
0: Maybe as a film director.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because you'll get shit done. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's an interesting, interesting approach. Mm.
0: Yeah. So then the transition shot of treetops and then a rooster call to February 2nd. We get an establishing shot of the Cherry Street Inn, which is located at 344 Fremont Street in Woodstock, Illinois. You can stay there. It is a bed and breakfast called the Royal Victorian Manor. Lovely. But the interiors we see are sets. Yes. And I will specifically detail how the set for his bedroom is backward. The set for his bedroom is backward? Yeah. I nearly wrote this down as
1: a, I had a weird experience when rewatching these minutes because whenever I picture his bedroom, I picture it the other way around. I picture that the window yeah, is on the other side and I don't know how it's just that's whenever I think of the, the alarm going off, I see it on the other side of the bed and I see the bed on the other side, uh, like up against the other wall. Mm. And I thought something was wrong. I thought the video was flopped when I was watching it in this minute and I, I, it was really distracting. So maybe I was unconsciously kind of correcting the geography.
0: Because you weren't getting the whole room, it seems wrong. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I just that's crazy. I, I wasn't going to mention it because I just thought it was like a brain fart of mine. But then when you said that it's yeah. backwards.
0: If you take their set for his bedroom, flip it over, it fits the top floor of the house. They yeah, show from outside.
1: Yeah, amazing. Why do uh, otherwise
0: it doesn't quite make sense because when the bathroom is in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. The stairs are in the wrong place. Then we are at the alarm clock. Yeah. If you wanted to talk about the alarm clock.
1: I do have extensive notes on the alarm clock i'm not
0: joking (laughs) i know
1: (laughs) oh right you know okay yeah yeah so there's this video on have you seen this i posted it on
0: i yeah i watched it yeah
1: yeah okay so this guy on youtube it all comes back to youtube called uh, technology connections is the channel and he has done an in-depth thing about these flip clocks and it's a great channel because what he does is takes like there's a lot of youtube channels that will do Audiovisual stuff and computer stuff mm-hmm. the kind of exciting fun end of technology and they'll take about old consoles and commodore 64s yeah. and, and and hi-fis and stuff and great but he'll do like kettles and toasters and the stuff that seems boring but he'll go into all of these like intricate little clever engineering techniques and he'll <laughs> show about like you know dishwasher design peaked in 1994 and here's why and by the end of it you'll be like God damn those dishwasher people, you know, it's like he gets you really into it or he gets me really into it. I suppose I'm, I'm an easy self or stuff like that, but he does this thing about flip clocks and how they work. And he's kind of saying the digital clocks that aren't digital, but that's kind of just the way the word digital has, I think now four different meanings because digital used to just mean your fingers, your digits and digital manipulation used to mean, you know, pushing things around with your, with your fingers. Now it means something else. Then the second meaning is a digital clock just referred to the fact that the clock had numbers on it, digits on it. And then digital came to mean things to do with electronics. So we think that a digital clock is called digital because it has digital circuitry in it. No, it's called digital because it displays digits instead of having hands and times on. And now, annoyingly, digital has come to mean non-physical. So like, oh, did you get it on digital or Blu-ray? blu-ray is digital too you know anyway <laughs> that's the four meanings of digital and y'all keep changing the meaning of that word and not telling me and i i don't appreciate it it's sometimes i think that everybody in the world except me has conferences about the changing of meanings of world and not and and, and don't tell me and it's uh, it's very <laughs> um <laughs> uh jesus please cut all that out that was uh, what a crazy diversion And and he goes into the mechanism of how it flips and how it times. And he gets specifically to the way the timer works on this clock and how it bears on Groundhog Day. The timing mechanism of how you set the time for the alarm to go off is quite a separate mechanism from Mm -hmm. the flipping of the numbers. So you wouldn't get this effect of 5.59, flip 6.00. Put your little hand in mine. And, you know, it would be slightly before or slightly after. And then I just took down a quote from the video, which is that little fact can just fit its way into your brain and bother you every time you watch Groundhog Day as it does me. You're welcome. Yeah. So now I've passed on the disease, the mental meme of that ruining for it. But of course it makes way more sense from filmmaking point of view. If it's precisely on the number, Mm -hmm. but the other interesting thing he points out interesting to people like me. Is there's the clock used in the movie is a prop yep. and the multiple um, props. Yes, multiple props. I'm sure because they had to destroy one as well. But they rigged it so that it could only do five fifty nine and six because that was all a shot ever called for. So if you look on some of the close ups, you can see that after six zero zero the next number because you can see a bit of the next tile ready to come down you can see the tops of the 5 and the 9 so you know that it's not you know because it should be a, a 1 next so you can kind of see the artifice of it you can see this when it flips again it'll just go back to 559 and back to 6 so they can just manipulate it and do whatever they want with it and get the shots they need i just thought that was cool mm-hmm. but yeah then the song kicks in and yeah i just think this is like such an amazing choice and it's such a fantastic kind of part of the movie and it works so well for this little bit of the movie and, and now forever in our kind of collective consciousness yeah this song means groundhog day
0: well that's why groundhog minute their opener was the click of the clock and then the song would start great great Movie. i couldn't do that yeah you know it's been done <laughs> yeah oh yes so i use a song that most people don't notice is in the movie
1: oh yeah yeah i use
0: a song was playing in the background at the bowling alley
1: oh really because yeah. it, it brings me to the kind of the problem with music in this film which is kind of like the movie is i think the implication is that the movie is being a little bit snarky about you know sonny and share everything and saying it's, <laughs> it, yeah well everything but that that song is so cheesy and so corny but, like, I don't have any love for that song, and I wouldn't normally find myself defending it. But I, relative to the actual songs in the soundtrack, like, I'm your Man" or whatever it goes, like, yeah. that's a masterpiece. You know what I mean? Like, the, Sonny and Cher is a masterpiece compared to that. I mean, there's horrible, horrible music in this film, the songs. That opening song, you know, for the opening credits and that when they're they're on the road and going over the bridge and everything is like, that is really horribly middle of the road. I don't know. I don't know what you think about it. Maybe I'm offending your sensibilities, but. uh,
0: No, I, that's fine.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: uh, way too on the nose. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm your weatherman. When you write for a comedy. Yeah. You have to be really careful and they weren't.
1: No. Yeah. It's too on the nose, but also just musically, it's, it's really bland and safe and it has so little character to it Mm -hmm. and it's just that thing of like yeah rock and blues but like not in a good way (laughs) none of the kind of rawness to it that they think there is the people making it yeah yeah just i guess it just sounds like very session musicians kind of music
0: this song was chosen from the very first draft yeah this is the song that daniel rubin put in the script great specifically because the end of the song He just says it winds down with a long, soft, definitive. I got you, babe. Yeah. But then it doesn't end. It comes back with, I got you, babe. I got over and over. Yeah. yeah. And And then it fades out
1: with the, I got you, babe.
0: But that part of the song yeah. is never in the movie. Mm-hmm. But that's why he picked it. Yeah. But I like the idea of it's like, it's kind of creepy because it's kind of punk is like, I got you.
1: Yes. To Phil. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're stuck. I got you. Yeah. You're it, trapped. it takes on that, that other more sinister meaning. So it has
0: a whole other meaning. Yeah. And then right. I think most people, I mean, especially now, Son- Sonny and shares not a thing anymore. Shares not even really a thing anymore.
1: Cher is now like an ABBA tribute act because she, she was in the second Mamma Mia. So she now tours a repertoire that's a mix of (laughs) Cher and ABBA.
0: Wow. But I mean, like this song is connected to this movie. That's what it is.
1: Yeah. And it's so perfect for it. It is just because it's the right kind of, it's the dark cheeriness, you know, the the, the contrast between, oh God, here it comes again. And this sweet, big, cheery, corny, lovey-dovey kind of feeling of it, you know? Yeah, it's perfect.
0: The only other thing we get this minute is we get the start of the DJs, Oh yeah, which I do have some notes on because the DJs are Richard Henzel and Rob Riley. And I got to hang out with Henzel at that same Groundhog Breakfast awesome. where I corrected the, the cone Great. in 94. He performed this entire di- Sorry, you just said 94. Yeah.
1: So you were there in 1994. This
0: is what I was, yeah, I was,
1: this is weird. I was saying, how would there be a celebration of the movie that came out in 93 oh, already in 1994? You're right.
0: It's 14. Yeah.
1: 24. <laughs> yeah. 2014. Yeah.
0: I see cool. what you're saying. It's a type. I, I just read it out of straight you out of read it. it, it, so it so out. Yeah, think yeah, about Yeah.
1: Yeah. There you go. Wow.
0: Yes. In 2014, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> he,
0: he performed this whole thing by himself. He is the first voice we hear. Yes. the Okay. Campers rise and shine. And then he performed a cover of the Beatles come together, which he played. It wasn't an accordion, but it was something similar. I forget what instrument it was. Wow. And then he performed a monologue from love uh, love's labor's lost. Why? Because he's like a theater actor. Okay. He performed at the, well, we don't really see it in this minute, but the hotel. Opera House. Yeah. He performed there in 1978. He performed Mark Twain Tonight.
1: Wow. Fantastic.
0: Location. And he also performed in the 80s in a show called, I didn't write it down. It's Rappin' Ronnie something. It's about Ronald Reagan.
1: Rappin' Ronnie Reagan? He played
0: Reagan. That's the Simpsons guy. It might have been a copy of that. I don't know.
1: Yeah. When when um, I'm amazed that it's based on anything because the gag in the Simpsons is they're going on a road trip. And Homer says, don't worry, I brought my and Ronnie Reagan tape. And he puts in the tape and you just hear this like rap beast like this really 80s you know rap beat and then and then just hear Hmm. wait 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 wait." you know like the (laughs) uh, like a crappy impression of ronald reagan and then you know homer is like (laughs) he did say well a lot
0: there there was an actual show So there was an
1: actual rap and ronnie reagan that's
0: crazy and Richard Henzel performed as Ronald and as Nancy was, and I'm just hitting a blank on her name, the piano teacher from later. Oh, wow. I was going to call her Mary, but that's the character name. That's crazy. They performed together as Ron and Nancy Reagan. And I think it was 84 or 85. So it was while Reagan was still president. (laughs)
1: Fantastic. That brings a new level to that Simpsons gag.
0: Yeah, I save some of my notes on the DJ stuff for next time because that's when we're through most of it. Mm. But here we get OK Campers Rise and Shine and don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. And then we get cut off.
1: Yeah, and this is the first loop. Well, I suppose this is like, yeah, this is iteration zero because there's nothing time loopy going on. Most of life is just junk, right? It's it's filler. Mm. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it
0: wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. No, I honestly don't even know how that could be possible.
1: Maybe think about it. We must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever.
0: But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well,
1: you can. It just takes an awful lot of work.
0: Time. Time. The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time.
1: What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this Time. one town, Time. in this one day we can collect them so if you want to hear my thoughts on a science fiction interpretation of yes you know the rules of groundhog day thought you might so i've been thinking a lot about this about time loops in general and boba wheat's show and all the, the twilight zone episodes and stuff that like if you think about what's happening in time loops it is a form of time travel mm-hmm. what's traveling backwards in time at the end of each iteration is information it is your memories traveling back in time
0: in the connor's loop yeah
1: in the connor's loop yeah and in the connor's loop what we know about it is that it's not just your cognitive memory it's your cerebellum your your what you call your muscle memory yeah and it's really like this through some unseen mechanism at the end of every day when he falls asleep or when he dies a snapshot is taken of his brain and that snapshot is then printed onto his brain a moment before he wakes up. Right. If that's true, and then if we assume that the actual time travel logic that plays out is based on like um, iterative non-looping, which it has to be because it's in it's in iteration. So therefore it's splitting. Yeah. You know, it's uh, Back to Future 2 style. We, we split the universe off into an angle. That means every single time he loops, he has created a separate branching timeline. Which continues after he sleeps or dies, Mm -hmm. which means everything he has done to anybody he has done to a real human being who lives with those consequences at a level of reality that is exactly equal to the final reality he finds himself in at the end and every time he kills himself he has left the people in that universe right. dealing with his death and the movie actually supports this because there's one because
0: we see him dead once
1: weird way that they break the rules of like okay now he's dead it shows us the world continuing after he dies That's horrific, and that puts a very different complexion on all of the bad things that Phil has done on his way to being a good guy. Mm -hmm. He's created whole universes of sadness and bad behavior and, and awfulness, and I am very distinctly not blowing your mind, because you've obviously thought about all this, which is like, why did I think I could... Why did I think I could surprise you with this?
0: You explained it in science fiction terms. Okay. My take on that would be more of a metaphor for regular reality is that Phil is horrible to everyone. He goes out and womanizes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, yeah, he'd have to get better at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We hope. Yeah. In the meantime, everyone he's mistreated has still been mistreated. Trail of destruction.
1: Yeah, because that's how it is. Yeah, we're in so many kind of movies and growing stories where the guy gets to be a better person and stuff. But he's like, yeah, he does it at the expense of everybody around him. And what about all the people who didn't have to learn those lessons in the first place because they just decided not to be jerks in the first place? Like, where's their movie? (laughs) Because that's not how story arcs work.
0: Yeah, I think we're actually already in the time loop of the week segment. So you could also say that connects to replay. Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Because all of those things exist and cops kill young black men all the time yeah. and go out like profile that, yes. them and everything. Yeah. And in the end, she tries to hold on to this camera that supposedly can rewind to something better. Yes. But it breaks and everything's just back right back where it was. Yeah. Because the, her changing something doesn't work. Because she's not the person in power, as we were talking about last time.
1: Yes. Yeah, the power dynamic. I mean, I really love this episode, except for <laughs> the, uh, not quite the ending, the very ending I like, but the the, the climax where the big face off at the university.
0: Oh, of all of them standing around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for listeners who haven't seen it, this is something I discovered through Bubba Wheat's It's Time to Rewind podcast, where he's doing time loop and time loop adjacent episodes of The Twilight Zone. And he included two episodes of the newer, like, 2019 Jordan Peele relaunch of The Twilight Zone. And uh, I believe Try Try has been mentioned on another yeah, episode. Last which week. Is kind of Yeah, great. And so now I'm kind of picking his other one, the, the other one that I became aware of through that, which is, like, a woman is taking her son to college, and they're, you know, in a diner on the way. The woman and the son are black. The cop who walks in and observes them there is white. And he turns out to be a pretty mean cop who is profiling this kid and chases him down. And the mom is bringing like an old, like 90s camcorder around with her. And as soon as she presses rewind, she's looped back. And there she is sitting in the same booth in the diner. And she sees like, wait a minute, did you not just pour ketchup on your top? And she realizes she's back in time. So this is a time loop in which she's in control. She doesn't realize it at first, but then she sees these awful things happening. And as we go through loop after loop, and she tries different methods to avoid a run-in with this cop that escalates to a taser, that escalates to a gun being drawn, and she's able to pull away from this horror, and she just wants to get her son to that college, and it's really well-structured as an episode. And it also just, it's a great villain, because the cop just seems to be like just a lazy, shitty cop who's just looking to get a cheap collar or looking to just have a bit of cathartic violence or whatever but as the mom's attempts to elude him get more elaborate he keeps on coming and he's like this unstoppable and he becomes nearly like a a slasher villain where he just keeps showing up and he's this unstoppable force and then they end up having to team up with um, the estranged brother of the mom and Go through these like secret tunnels that lead into the college, and they get there, and there's this big confrontation with this cop and other cops coming to back him up. And it's all of the like black students in this like black college that's, you know, weirdly segregated part of the world which i guess there's still a lot of segregation in 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 third level education and so yeah it just for me that ending of it hits this note of like we'll stand and to united we stand uh that's very kind of ah, corny
0: yeah i think it plays as a corny thing
1: yeah but
0: i think it was trying to say something about like the only way to because even you're talking about though you have to take secret channels to escape, yes. which yeah. in order to be part of yeah. you know, regular society and get an education, they have to sneak around. Yeah. And then the only way they can deal with the police is accountability.
1: Yes. Because everybody has their cameras.
0: But one camera or 20 cameras aren't that much different in reality. Yes, that's very if true. Cops being filmed doesn't mean they're going to be found guilty. Yes. And that's the
1: messed up thing. It's kind of, um, yeah, being filmed...
0: Uh, yeah it plays corny but it's i think it's trying to say something more about like that's all they got yeah right now yes yes it's it's more sad it is in that moment and it doesn't play that way
1: i wish they had tweaked the tone of it because it's way too triumphant
0: that's why the last scene yeah does work
1: yes the last scene the camera breaks
0: and the police lights are outside yeah yeah
1: and his the exact face of the young man now years later and she has a grandchild the mom now has a grandchild and so we just see the red and blue roof lights outside and we don't know Mm. but the point is whether he has you know whether he survives this encounter or not the point is that the horror has not gone away and there wasn't just that one cop
0: yeah she held onto that camera for a decade yes but it didn't necessarily change no what happens
1: and and i mean the overall point of even if you have a magic camera you're not going to be able to take on this huge structural extremely widespread behavior this 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 particular Mm -hmm. phenomenon of of cops preying on young black men but i just thought like the only couple of things i read about this episode online were like from the anti-sjw shitheads who were just who who were just giving like oh woke more woke bullshit but it's like yeah like it's i don't i the 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 episode doesn't end up landing for me because that climax is so kind of off but the rest of it i thought was amazing and obviously the subject was so well dealt with for the most part the thing that strikes me about it is that like in the world of you know famously rod serling used the twilight zone as a platform to talk about things you couldn't talk about on TV. Yes. And there's now so much less censorship and so many more platforms. There's words you can't say on NBC. Well, it's okay. You can say them on HBO, you know, <laughs> and, and you can go online or whatever. So there's like different sets of what's allowed and what's not allowed on all these different platforms. And it all kind of means that whatever message you have, you can get it out through some channel. Jordan Peele's hands weren't tied in the same way that Rod Serling's were and I wonder if that you know it's this old quote that I'm always using and I forget the attribution art is limitation the essence of every picture is the frame Mm. so that so that working around your limitations is very stimulating for creativity and if you want to tell a story If Rod Serling had wanted to tell a story about systemic police violence against black men, he would have had to step around it, sidestep it and create something supernatural and something alien. Whereas Jordan Peele is able to take it straight on. I kind of think the other time loop episode of the newer series, Try Try, try. yeah, that has a racial dimension to it because the woman who is the romantic interest of the guy who is stuck in the time loop is black and and the guy stuck in the time loop is white. But that's not in the script. There's nothing about that in the script. It's just implied. And and that's about men and and women. Yeah, it's it's about men and women. And in the casting, there's an extra dimension added with the race, which is the fact that it's not in the script and the fact that the script could have been just as easily a white woman and they wouldn't have changed anything means that race is kind of doing a little bit of background work that's really adding something it's adding a dimension of white men feeling kind of entitled to black women's attention and bodies and that's there's really something there that's that's kind of playing on a more subtle level and when you take on something directly maybe there's more dangers of stepping into where it's too on the nose or it's too uh, in your face or whatever But like I say, I think the replay episode really predominantly works. It's just that climax that I have a problem with
0: and they almost could have downplayed the climax a little like just the fact that he gets on the campus means the cop yeah can't advance exactly and yeah, then yeah. the cop leaves we know he's still gonna always be there yeah cut to 10 years later yeah same ending yeah you don't have to
1: change much to really make it work because i was really digging it and i was saying like yeah this is for me like two for two the only two episodes of this new twilight zone i'm seeing like i'm mm. loving this and then it was just that ending i'm like and i'm trying to make myself like it like like 19 year old Austin sitting in the cinema for Phantom Menace, but I'm just not as good at fooling myself now. Yeah.
0: I had an idea of what I was going to say for my time loop of the week this week, but it's a completely different tonal thing. I don't know that you've seen it, so I'll, I'll save it. And I incentivize reference, I'm trying to find the other, there's a couple movies that are similar. Okay. Where they're using the time loop versus uh, police violence against black men. Oh, really? Yeah. One of which came out in 2019 it's called the obituary of Tunde Johnson. Oh, which is the first one I found scroll. I have a list on IMDb of all the time loop things. Yeah. And so I'm trying to find the other one but I don't remember when it came out. But I know there's like a a comedic short film that's just called Groundhog Day for a black man. I think that one's on YouTube.
1: Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah.
0: But there was also a really serious short film that was actually up for an I could look up Oscars. Two Distant Strangers. Yeah, it was last year. That's why I couldn't remember. It was too recent. Two Distant Strangers, which does a really, it was similar to this in like, he tries to get to know the police officer. reason with him. They become friendly, but it still ends horribly. And then it keeps ending horribly, but it starts like your normal kind of time loop. He's had a, I don't think it's a one night stand, but like he's at his girlfriend's place, wakes up in the morning and get your time loop markers of what's happening. like. I got you, babe. Coming on radio, yeah, stuff like that. And then it seems like it's going to be you know simple time loop story until he goes out about his day and then gets shot. Wow! And it was another one where like the people you hear commenting on it are all the people who were like anti. Yeah, yeah. Justice
1: this lawyer. is woke. Blah, 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 blah.
0: Yeah, it's too woke. It won't work. But it was it won the Oscar, right, for short sure. cool. film, live action short, and it's great.
1: There does seem to be something in the air. I just saw I didn't have time to watch these things, but just there's there's people on YouTube talking about like why 2021 was obsessed with time loops and that like there's something in the air that like because a lot of people during the lockdown started saying, oh, God, Groundhog Day. Yeah, every day is the same. Yeah, All of our days were the same. <laughs> so then we started to make all these lockdown movies and stuff.
0: Um, anything else on Groundhog Day or Minute Eight?
1: I think I'm good.
0: Remind the audience if they, in case they weren't listening yesterday, where they can hear you.
1: Go to malkovichminute.net and I got uh, 25 episodes of Malkovich, Malkovich, Minute, Minute, my deep dive into being John Malkovich, written by Charlie Kaufman, who we'll be talking about tomorrow.
0: Thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project, Minute by Minute, is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day. every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drop Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. Round again. I think I have traveled through time. What is wrong in the end, which never comes, or which comes again and again, lap, lap, nothing, like waves?
1: Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the
0: way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day?
1: No. Yeah, you know Groundhog Day is not a documentary. Ah! Don't worry, I brought my wrapping Ronnie Reagan tape. It always makes the trip go faster. Well, 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 well. well, well, well,
0: well. <laughs> you know something? He did say well a lot. Well, well, well. Where, where,